Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Business Power Ups Podcast with me, Mark Cropley. Every week I'll be talking to different business owners and leaders where they'll be sharing their secrets of success, how they started and what they've learned along the way. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Without further ado, let's talk to this week's guest. Hello, welcome to another Business Power Ups podcast with me, Mark Cropley. Today, I'm here with Richard Freeman, CEO of Always Possible. He's a strategic steward, I got that one right, joining the dots of business. He's a father of two and a rubbish gardener. I try, I try my best, but it's generally pretty poor results, yeah. And, and you said that also you're not that great at making scrambled egg either. No, I'm good at egg. Oh, you're good, oh sorry. Good at egg. So you're really good at making scrambled Absolutely. egg, but you're rubbish at gardening. I'm not as good at gardening as I would like to be. Do you have a big garden at home? Or? Uh, it's, it's big enough, big, bigger than, too big for me to manage, I think that's the point, but... Um pave it over no I mean it's no, nice no, to have no, some no. green space isn't it you know in, especially when you live in, uh, in in town so Richard we have had a, a bit of a chat beforehand and, and to get an idea of your background but what is your personal area of expertise um, I, I have a problem with the word expertise actually because okay. sometimes it, it implies that you sort of stop learning yeah okay and that this is you know this, I know everything there is to know about this this thing um so I find that tr- sometimes troubling, but you know I'm, I'm probably being uh, difficult. No, I, I like to know. No, no, actually, I quite like to hear that because it's a good bit of feedback, and I think you know I want to hear your views on that. But but also the the reason I say it's kind of the point is that I'm I know quite a lot about quite a lot of things, but I probably you know I'm I'm not that that kind of deep dive specialist that a lot of people are and, and should be. But that, and that's kind of why my business has um, come about. I know quite a bit about education. I know quite a bit about um, small business and bus- small business growth and entrepreneurialism. I know quite a bit about um, culture and um, technology and the arts and philosophy and politics. And you know, I'm, I'm a curious person, so I read a lot and I listen a lot. Um, and I'm one of those people who always have an opinion on everything. And I thought, but actually, I'm not. You know, there's not one thing that necessarily I would um, say I'm an expert in. So my business is about joining up those experts. What I'm good at is uh, finding those specialists, finding those experts, and helping them think beyond the little bubble in which they are working. So that actually, for the for kind of the greater good, and for uh, strengthening cross sector opportunity, communications, the way that different parts of of society can work. Because I think business, education, culture, they all need to work very closely together. Um, I'm quite good at facilitating new ideas by bringing people together. So you, uh, just to unpick that a bit, and if we can use the word expert again, your expertise is to join the experts together yes. in a way. Yes. And, and actually we need that in business, don't we? We need those broad-ranging people because the problem is you get this these experts working independently of each other. And actually, you know, if you bring, and I suppose just thinking out the box here, you know, NASA back in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, it was this thing that bought, all these experts together and what they achieved was something amazing absolutely and if we have too many people sat on the fringes of business and we don't bring them together then we're losing out on opportunities absolutely and I think more than ever when you think about different sort of um, personality types and, and different ways of approaching things so you know somebody might might feel much more creative and 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 
be ideas led and and but feel a bit boxed in if they have to do something that's that's kind of very hierarchical but then somebody else might thrive on hierarchy and, and, and the systems and a structure and what actually that does is it creates a more efficient model of getting something done so if you compare them up with the creative person actually you can do something really exciting and the same with technology and and, and mathematicians you know they've got a really valuable and important way of of taking apart something and putting it back together looking at how the kind of you know the universe works put them with a creative person who can then you know kind of power it in a different way and design it differently and make it more accessible then you know what the, the opportunities are endless but all of those people working individually on their own trying to solve something in isolation um, you get things that only partly work Sure. So you've got the the thinkers and the doers, the thinkers, and the creators, the doers, yeah. and bring them together. The strategists, the people who are good at breaking stuff, putting it back together, and the people who are good at um, getting stuff done. Do you think uh, by pulling those people together, you personally felt that there's been resistance from people for that, or do you think they're like, you know, this is fantastic. I've been waiting for this all my life. Oh, there'll always be resistance, but 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 tension is. Um, tension drives change. You can't have you can't have change without without some resistance, um, and I, I thrive on it. I think that's quite important. Um, there's the, the the chief executive of the RSA, a man called Matthew Taylor, um, and I talk about this quite a lot. Um, he gave a, a, a lecture quite recently, which is about where do, where does change come from? Where does creative leadership come from? He was Tony Blair's um, policy. Uh, lead policy strategist so whatever your political opinion um there were some big political big policy changes like the smoking ban and things mm. like that you know that they com- that completely transformed the way public the public perceived something um just in a number of years and there was a big uproar about that and now it's now I'd look at how we our attitudes to it so so there's something in what he's saying and he talks about having four different voices around the table when you're trying to um, lead change or you're trying to create something um, that has sustainability and you need the, the the solidarists you need the people who are values led you know so they're worried about making sure that everybody's included and that all and that all views are heard and that something is really kind of community led and not top down and then you've got the individualist you know you've got the, the catalyst you've got the person who's well what's in it for me what's how's it powering my bottom line i'm only motivated to do something if i know it, it me and my family will benefit um and actually that, that's a powerful motivator that we all have that so that's important to have around the table but then you also have the fatalist the person who goes well we've done this all before we've been here we, this sounds like what we've been doing for years and years and years it's not going to work and then you have the hierarchist the person who believes in structure and rules and and systems and it's like well it only work if we have a very clear structure now some of those voices you or i or anyone might go oh i don't want those three around the table because they're just going to ruin it but we all have a different sort of way of of approaching something if you get all four around the table you have tension in the middle but it's from that tension that the ideas come and if you if you listen to all four voices in balance, actually the thing that comes out of it is this thing that's really going to work. Because you're making it for those four different voices that, that what they've structured will be something that's hopefully in the middle of, of where they sit. So when yeah. you put that out to the wider public, all of a sudden you've got something that works. Absolutely. And it's not about just sort of having, um, you know, just com- compromising or diluting something for the sake of it. But actually those four voices represent the kind of actually the four pillars of change you know and the four me- the four drivers that that make things happen so you need those four voices in tussle and when you find the thing that they all agree on and are, and are, and are excited about then you've got the thing that's going to work it's a bit like in business as well actually it would be it would be 
bad and detrimental to your business and to you as a person to have too many yes men around you. You want someone to push back and say, no, this isn't right, this isn't what I agree 100%. with. 100%. The worst thing that any business leader can do, and, and you know, I advise lots of them when they're hiring and or building a team, is just to surround yourself with people that look like you, think like you, smell like you, sound like you. Um, and that's often... You know, that's the comfort zone. You know, that's often the first port of call that people yeah. go to because they think, well, I want, you know, I want someone who, who I get on with. And it's like, yes, absolutely. But you, it's the, you can get on with people who actually challenge you and push you in a different direction and bring a different perspective. If you can do that and create leaders out of them, then you're going to go very far. That's a really important message. And, that, and that's, you know, something for me to take on board personally. And, and also, you know, anyone listening, you know, you, you want to get advice from people with different views of you. Ultimately, you're the one, if you're leading the business, has got to make that decision. Yeah. But you need those difference of opinions to be able to make sure the business works for everyone. Yeah. Um, so take me back before you started your own business. Now, I know you've been involved in a few things uh, in, in the last sort of, what are we going to say, 10 years? Um, probably about 18 years. 18 of, years, of right. Okay. Sort of um, professional and, and projects. And so, so what training did you have? Um, what did you do? And how did you see your future? So early on, uh, it was um, acting and writing. You know, that was that was my path. It was right, going to okay. be my life. There was no sort of uh, deviation from that. Um, and that's what I trained in and, I, and, I, and started doing that at university. Um, and I, st- I started a theatre company when I was 16, actually, in, in Brighton. Um, but I, f- I spotted very quickly that the thing that, I, that really excited me, way more than being on stage or directing people, was um, the the building the world around it. Um, so I, would, I was 16, I put an ill-fitting suit and I'd, I'd go out to the local restaurants and I'd say, right, we're, we're a bunch of kids putting on a play, but we, we're serious about it. We're building it in a, in a professional space. We're going to charge tickets. It's a, it's, a, it's a grown-up play about adult themes. You know, we, we think we can do it because it's good. Um, would you give us 500 quid to kind of advertise in our brochure? Right. And they're like, uh, okay. This is new, um, because we were selling out. We were getting audiences in. And I thought actually, there's something about telling the story around what we're doing, why we're doing it, who it's for, making sure that it's sustainable. You know that we're not just going sort of cap in hand and saying, oh, we're, we're kids doing a play. Just give us some money. Give us your money. It's actually we we'll want to do something in partnership with you, and actually it looked quite good for your restaurant to be part of our story. Um, you know, and, and people will will take kindly. Or look kindly upon someone who supports this sort of process. So that so that kind of production or producing role um, and facilitation was something that I I hooked onto very quickly, and that and that ran through all my time. So at university, yes, I was studying drama and, and English, but actually I trained to be a, a special needs teacher. I worked in the university press office. I I started facilitating lots of the kind of social groups and and, and trying to raise money so that people could could take projects and go and do them in community settings and things like that. And I thought, actually, this kind of organising of people um, and understanding how people work um, is way more interesting than me just sort of telling my own stories. So that's where it started. Um, And then since then, I've had a a 15-year career in mainly um, kind of dual roles in, in education and training, largely informal education, further education, helping people who've maybe not succeeded in a, a mainstream environment. And this is both adults. I did a lot of work with adults in London, um, adults in disadvantaged communities who are who are trading you know, fairly successfully within the TV and film industry, but they were hitting that glass ceiling 
um, you know, for whatever reason, they weren't getting in the, the 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 pale male and stale boys club of the BBC. Right. So so they needed they needed to work harder in order to get through that glass ceiling. So I brokered lots of training opportunities, did lots of coaching, given them the confidence to be able to sort of try and disrupt that market a little bit. Um, and then applied a lot of that work with young people as well. And did a lot of youth work actually in, in, in North London, looking at how to get young people from gangs, which is quite prevalent at the moment with the, with the news. And a lot of the areas that they're talking about are areas that I worked in. Um, you know, how can we get a hundred of those kids writing a, a musical with a hip hop producer? Um, so telling their stories but having a completely different outlet to do it wow. and that, that and uh, again it's that kind of facilitation you know these there are there's there are expert there are experts in crime prevention there are experts in hip-hop music there are experts in you know none of those are me yep. but I could bring them together in a way that they wouldn't normally so otherwise know each other the well I've, it's what I've always been doing yeah um, so it was informal education and, uh, and, and and creativity and how and how creativity can be a tool, um, more the process of creativity rather than the kind of end result, um, can be a tool for sort of personal and community empowerment. And that's what I've always done. And I've sort of worked in the voluntary sector, worked in private business. Um, and then for the six years before I started my own business, I was sort of running the operations of, of an independent um, training provider that sort of brought those two things together. It specialised in creative and digital, but worked with 16 to 24-year-olds who'd um, maybe not left school with, with the, the full tools of qualification that they would have liked. So what was the moment that led you to start this particular business? It was that I knew... Um, <clears throat> I The thing with organisations are... It's it's very difficult to make the sort of changes that you you need within an organisation must continually grow and innovate, and must challenge themselves and review what they're doing and have a look at their purpose. Um, that's quite hard to do when you are in the thick of it, or it's something that you've been building for a long time within an organisation. So I found that um, you know I've been I've been with an organisation for six years, and I was being asked by lots of friends who ran their own things, you know you you're, you're good at this stuff. Could you come and come and have a look at what it is that we're doing. Or there's something not quite right about this project that we're running, or I'm trying to set something up. And so I spent quite a lot of time giving sort of free advice, to having a look at what peop- people were doing, looking at some of the bottlenecks they were facing. And and then I kind of looked a little bit inward and go, but the thing I'm running isn't, you know, isn't all that. There are, there are big challenges, but I'm part of the problem because I need someone external to come and help me fix it. But... I'm good at that for other people. So maybe the change needed within my organisation is well, the organisation I was working within is that actually is something fresh, someone fresh, new ideas. So maybe maybe if I phase out of this, could I make a living in helping lots of different organisations? For sort of be that critical friend. And I tested that and so I went from being full time, went down to four days a week, three days a week and you know just put my toe in the water as a, as a freelance consultant to begin with just to kind of see is, is there space for this is there a demand and oh my word I was just there was just a wall of oh yeah no we'll pay you to do that that's fine you're wow. good at that so come and come and do it it's like okay there's something in this <laughs> and that's that's kind of where I thought and I could and I could run it in my own way and I could be flexible and I could work I'm not going to be shackled to one sector because I love just you know I want to work with engineers I want to work with uh, artists, I want to work with um, entrepreneurs. I want to work with you know people who are running community stuff. I want to work with big 
brands and corporate, I work with politicians, all of those people, they're all trying to do the same thing, just in different ways. If I'd start my own thing, maybe that I, that's a vehicle in which I could um, get out of my own bubble. It's quite an interesting point, actually, and a question I want to touch on there, because um, some people listening might be stuck in a job and they really want to try something and they think, I don't want to just leave my job and, and go out on my own because that is quite a big step. Mm. Um, and some people are ready to make that jump. But it was interesting what you said there about you, you reduced your, your time working for the company you were working for. Yep. Now, I know it's not always possible for, for everyone to be able to do that, but how did that work for you and the organisation you were working for? And how did, you, uh, how did that come up in conversation? Well... You know, it was honest conversations with with my so I was kind of second in command to the to the business owner, and so I had an honest conversation. I said, "Look, I think there are things. Well, we know there are things that we can do better, and there are things that systemically within the organisation need reviewing. And part of that's around systems and processes, and um, you know, maybe not being quite so." Uh, there was a lot of fear because it's an education. There's fear of Ofsted. There's fear of the regulators. You know, educational organisations have a huge amount of pressure just from lots of different people sort of interfering, um, and maybe that fear drives, um, you know, some some, some fear-led behaviours. You know, rather can we innovate when we're worried about all those things? So I said, well, you know, I I I think some things need to change. What I'm good at is sort of strategy. Um, yet my job at that time was very operational. Give me, I want to write a strategy. I want to write a strategy for the business, but it might involve me not being part of it. So that's what I did, and sort of wrote, looked at how the the senior management team could be restructured. Um, I said, actually, I think you need some more specialists in looking at things. You know, we it was run by some generalists, and I think actually with the teaching and learning, you need more specialists with that. Someone from a different environment that could shake things up a little bit, maybe with finance, maybe with marketing. You know, we could do some interesting things, but in order for us to be able to afford that. Then you need we need to lose at least one of the the bigger salaries in the business. <laughs> I'm prepared to do that. So you engineered yourself out of it. I engineered myself out of it, but actually I think it was the best thing for me, and I think it was the best thing for for the organisation. But then I had no, I didn't have savings to to fall back on. I had to, I have two very young children, um, so the risk was massive. <coughs> you know, there's no doubting that. So that's why I said, right, can I do, can I do go down to one? You know, can I phase it out? I'd actually have a bit of a clause in there, you know, if after six months I'm making a horrific mistake, <laughs> can we revisit, potentially revisit this, or at least, but the, but the, but also, well, that gave me the time, I knew that maybe after that time, I'd, go, I'd then go and get another full-time yeah. job, in a, you know, in, a, in another business, I knew I wouldn't, I can't do this on my own, the consultancy thing, who am I trying to kid, you know, but I, but I gave time, I gave myself time to figure that out. I think if you're valuable to the organisation you're working for, there's always going to be that conversation. And, and mm. as business owners ourselves, you know, if, if we had someone say, look, this is what I want to do and it's what's going to make them happy and I want to do this, we try and help them, yeah. um, you know, if they're valuable to the business. I, I know it's going to be different if you're unfortunately working in a shop and you're just another number and another, you yeah. know, you're not going to be able to have that ability to do that. No, it's trust. It, 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 and... You know, I had a good relationship with 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 that um, my my then boss, and actually we've since set up a social enterprise together. And my old employer is one of my main clients today. So that that trust 
was an integral to it that. It stayed, and, and you obviously made an impact on the business, and and the transition went smoothly enough that, like you just said, it's it's now one of your clients. Mm. What recent changes in technology have you seen that would be a game changer to small businesses? Oh wow! Well, um, I know there's lots. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think communication's massive. Um, I one of my things I hate most in the world is email. I think email's so badly used. Email was was invented to be an it's electronic mail. The idea was to be a quicker way of sending a letter. Yeah. So emails, um, you know, I don't mind getting emails when it's a, uh, you know, when, when it when it's a letter or a request or a, a key piece of information or it's something I can take a little bit of time to read. What what I think. of us use email for is quick fire, little notes, instant messaging, long threads and trails and reply alls. And and I think that's that's not what this is for. So one of the biggest stresses in modern life is is inbox management. Yes. You you come back from holiday and you've got 700 emails and half of it's rubbish. But the time it takes to sift through, certainly if you, someone like me, works with so many different organisations, I find email quite stressful. So actually, I think it's tools like things like Slack and Yammer and some of these more, uh, what I'm excited about is the number of organizations that are acknowledging that actually communication is not, it's not a one, there's not one tool that does all communication, or certainly not in the same way. And that being efficient is about understanding the different tones of voice that we need and the different sort of energy behind different communications. So I think that, um, tools that allow for different sort of channels of, of quick fire chat, quick decision making, tools that allow for information gathering, and then tools that allow things like, like project management tools for structuring um, uh, processes and having an invite, you know, I, I do, I will use something called Zoho. Yeah. Um, so we can we can we have direct conversations with clients. We can share documents. We can do collaborative working on that. But also within that, do internal, um, you know, yeah, quick fire chat within the team. So that none of that involves email. Technology is most powerful when you know how to use it. All it is is a tool. You know, the, the most powerful tool we have is our brain. So we still have to make decisions about what technology we use. But you see the rise in things like artificial intelligence, VR, AR. They are they are already huge, but they're in big business at the moment. But they're trickling down very quickly. I know a lot of small businesses that absolutely are using AI in their customer service, um, or are using virtual reality for for training. I've been doing quite a lot of work with yeah with an, with an agricultural college that are using virtual reality in order to simulate environments. Um, now they started that with with big organisations, but they're also looking at how they can do that with with you know small small farms and how, there's, there's really exciting stuff going on. But what what we need to keep doing as humans is to kind of go, well, that's suitable for that bit. This is suitable for this bit. And not try and see every new bit of technology as the sort of panacea that will solve everything. So back in the past, we had um, PCs kind of on everyone's desk. Yeah. That was the sort of idea behind Microsoft and, and Apple. You know, the computers that were for the big corporations, mm-hmm. now everyone can have. And that was sort of a thing for everyone, mm-hmm. but now we're looking at technologies that might be more specific for different industries. Yeah, absolutely, and and using technologies in different ways. And I think, you know, even 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 the, the ubiquitous desktop computer, I think, for many small businesses, it's a thing of the past. You know, I look at you go into any coffee shop in Brighton or Worthing, and and somebody's running their entire possibly multi-million pound business out of a tablet yes. or a laptop, or you know, I can do 
so much work on my smartphone being a you know sort of without much of that sort of infrastructure overhead it doesn't work for everybody we're not tied to our desks anymore are we no. and, and we're, we're like they're here you know we use laptops and we can work from anywhere and if the building burnt down or there's a power out we just go somewhere else and go and use the wi-fi somewhere else absolutely. and the business carries on going absolutely so i think the key thing is you're not i think the danger is to embrace every new thing as as the best thing because it isn't always no or to see every new thing as 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 everything because it isn't but it's about being conscious you know seek the seek the technology that you need but then use it you know as, as uh, maximize the use of it and and be um, be smart with it now so far we've talked about the all the great bits about your business about starting it and about getting to where you are today but <laughs> what's been one of the mo- worst moments in your business so far and and what did you learn and how did it change you well we have the same we have the same challenges of all the businesses that we support you know I, I, I do a lot of work with um, chambers of I designed the 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 whole startup um, training program for the Brighton Chamber of Commerce and their ride the wave program so I'm there you know I, I give lots of uh, workshops and things around cash flow around building teams around uh, intellectual property risk management all those sorts of stuff um, every single one of those things are as big a problem for my business as they are for any other just because I know quite a lot about them doesn't stop them being very real so I think it's about um, I don't know if there's a if there's a specific worst moment but I think for me it's remembering very much to to be as to kind of walk the talk as it were and to be very conscious about when you're a small business you're you're one bad decision away from closure yeah and it's and, and I don't think that changes for the first sort of five six seven years of being in business um, so it's always being very conscious of that and continually reviewing about the decisions that you make and I've definitely made bad decisions I've definitely um, you know kind of brought people on that needed a different sort of support than I was able to give I've definitely spent way too long um, chasing a particular idea or a piece of work I think that's the thing we're working in an environment which is quite a lot of new thinking we're working with businesses that are uh, we're, we're asking them to challenge the way that they do something. So in order for that to work, we've got to give them quite a lot of time and support. Um, now, we, we can only bill for half of that because that's all they can afford and that's all we agreed. You know, So actually, I've got to be very careful at looking at the kind of you know, sustainability of... I get very excited about new things and new ideas and disrupting things, but that, that costs money. Yes. <laughs> and it doesn't always bring money in so in, in the be beginning pragmatic about each decision and, and make sure that Absolutely. you're not following that wrong path and i suppose that's like in any small business yeah. isn't it is is not to steer too away from your idea um and, and i've done it oh let's try this let's try yeah. this and you put a load of time into it and you actually it's not a great idea so i think it's about having really good decision making processes and we're good at helping other organizations design decision making processes that are right for them um but I have to remind myself to continually review ours as well and make sure that it works for the, the context. We talked about this question beforehand, and, and the idea of that, that particular question is to show uh, to our listeners that you know we might see Richard Freeman, CEO, standing up in front of 3,000 people and, and talking, but mm-hmm. he still suffers the same issues and, and trials and tribulations in his business that someone just running a shop uh, on the high street does absolutely and no one's immune to that and and you said you spoke to people that are in the public eye mm. and they still suffer those those same thoughts and, and and problems absolutely so we run something called the possibility 
club, and I'm going to do a little plug here on the show. Absolutely, yeah, you go for it. Possibility, uh, thepossibilityclub.org, um, and the idea of that is to create a peer network um, and a way to connect and to empower the individuals that are that have taken a big risk, that have done, you know, um, and 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 these are people who have been probably very successful in a career, very you know comfortably getting that monthly paycheck. Um, doing something that they they are very good at, but have got that itch, have found actually I don't want to be part of this system anymore. I've got an idea that's going to change the world, or is, you know I there's some I'm, I'm I feel compelled to to, to do something else. Um, so they set off on their own, and they might have a huge skill set or even a big profile um, in what they were doing before, but suddenly feel like a very small fish in a very big pond with a whole set of skills that they just took for granted in an organisation yeah. that they now don't have. Um, the The idea behind the Possibility Club is to acknowledge, as you've just said, the, the kind of human fallibilities, that it's okay to not be good at everything. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay that stuff goes wrong. Um, you know, failure is just a big a, a big a part of um a successful business as you know get winning those deals or 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 changing those lives um so the possibility club is focused on okay what's possible if we are conscious of how we're doing it, if we ask for help if we build networks and and relationships with people if we find space kind of safe space to go right i tried this thing and it absolutely fell apart and i don't really know why or i think i know why what are other people's experience? And you might run a, uh, uh, you might be someone who runs a racking business, or you might be someone who runs an IT business. You might be someone who runs a, an opera company. You might be someone who um, grooms dogs. It sort of doesn't matter because really they're all building something, and they're all looking at how the structure of um, of making decisions leads to growth in their project um, and team and idea and, 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 and their sustainability. Um, and But I think there's a real value in, in talking about it openly with people and I think not seeing it as a weakness. And that's what we're, you know, the idea of this podcast, that's what we're doing today. Yeah. We're sort of getting it out there and, and saying, you know, it, it's not, it's always a challenge yeah. and you've just got to go for it. Absolutely. So if anybody wants to find out more about the Possibility Club, free to join. Um, check out thepossibilityclub.org and we'll get those details for you at the end of the mm. podcast as well what advice would you give someone starting their own business today listen 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 and challenge and question listen to podcasts listen to podcasts listen to people um, you will make loads of assumptions um, and because you're passionate about the thing that you're doing so um and that's okay and you have to be led by you know the passion because it's going to be a hard slog so you need to really believe in what you're doing um in order to even to get off the ground but challenge those assumptions there's so many people that i work with who you know are kind of early stages in their business who are absolutely certain they know what their customers want you know they they because because they've spoken to 10 people maybe even 100 people their friends their network the kind of people around them um, and, and, and that's enough in their yeah. eyes as validation and it's not yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, and also people's needs change and their wants change and I think just ask as many people ask the people that don't want that, that say I don't, I don't want to buy your thing or I'm not interested in your thing ask them more what is it about it that you don't like what is it that you don't feel comfortable in the messaging or in the pricing or in the um 
and then think about not just how you bring people onto your website or bring people into your space think about the experience of the people that you're going to be connecting with because at some point when you get off the ground and you're you've got a website you've got a brand you've got some visibility people are going to start to make decisions about your business well before you've ever connected with them and there's these things called the four moments of truth in sort of customer experience and the first moment of truth for somebody comes well before you know they even exist Right. And so if you're not thinking about that experience for them, yes, you can start to control the the sales process. You can start to control the customer service once they've looked at your product. You can start to con- you can control your social media messaging. You can control the aftercare, you know, but you can't control the whole emotional and psychological experience that someone has with your product. So the only way that you can make it as easy and as accessible for people as possible is to try and get in their shoes. And you can only do that by talking to them and listening to them and I just find a lot of small businesses make lots of assumptions or just focus on the sale point and we've all done it and it's an interesting point that um, uh, we actually now if we've got an idea in the office we've now got you know followers of of thousands of people on our Mm -hmm. Twitter account and they're all our customer base you know majority of Mm -hmm. their gas engineers heating plumbing uh, electricians and uh, we, we started to say, well, hang on, why don't we just ask them? Mm-hmm. We put a little survey out. Um, I mean, one of the assumptions we made was because we're doing business-to-business stuff, we'd have all our prices on our website as without VAT, mm-hmm. and the VAT's added at the checkout at the end, and mm-hmm. we were noticing some abandoned carts. Mm-hmm. And so we put the question out, would you guys prefer to see the VAT uh, you know, as the primary or the secondary number? And and overwhelmingly, they said, I want to see it with VAT. Yeah, what am I going to pay? <laughs> yeah, because our assumption was we're business to business, so the people we deal with are VAT registered, like we are, so I don't really care about VAT in a way. I it, It's a transfer that happens through my business, yeah? So we charge VAT and we reclaim VAT. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really, I'm interested in the core price. But what we found was, and what we realised, is most of our customers are self-employed yeah. trade people. They... You know, we all pay VAT, but they can't reclaim it. Absolutely. So they want to see that price. Yeah, and it's cash flow as well. Yes. Even if they can reclaim it three months down the line, yes. if they're doing a big order, that's 20% that you're charging them yep. extra at that point, yeah, at that, that time. <laughs> so what did we do? We changed it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's um, and we went back out and we said, thank you for letting us know. We've now made these changes to the site. And they're like, great, thank you very much. And that could have been, you know, 10% of your customer base that yes. are abandoning the car yeah. at that point. You know, what a massive, what a small but massive change that you've, Mate. So challenge your assumptions and ask your customer base where you can. I mean, you know, okay, we're lucky enough we built a following and we can ask that mm-hmm. question in the early days. We would have struggled. Mm-hmm. But once you've got that, you know, try and utilise it. And think of their experience. Just like, you know, user experience in the tech sector drives all tech innovation. You know, people are looking at uh, where you're, you know, if you're looking at a website, they're looking at where you're, the pattern that your eyes follow, yeah. you know, what's, what's the kind of architecture of a website? And the tech sector's got that down pat, you know, it's something they've mm. really. Um, so why, aren't ev- why isn't every other sector looking at that in every other part of a user journey? So just a few more questions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you recommend a book? I, I, I'm going to pick business books because I, I read a lot of them at the moment and there's a lot of rubbish out there. And so I, I want to try and save people some time. <laughs> but some, some really good. Um, writers to look at uh, it's a guy called Dan Pink right okay I shall write it down myself uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm evangelical about Dan Pink and there'll be lots of people listening who have come across him but there's three absolutely pivotal books that he's written that I think transform any business thinking one is called Drive 
and it's about motivation. Yeah. Uh, his second book is called, um, the, of his books that I'm recommending, is one called To Sell is Human. Right. And again, he takes apart the myths around selling. And he's written a new one called When, which is all about timing. And similarly, um, it's about lots of research around um, the rhythms of the day and when's best in the day to do things. Give me one of your greatest strengths. I, I think I'm good at that that um, kind of empathy in business. It's that understanding, uh, taking that time to understand where my customers are coming from, where my workforce are coming from, um, and and that's the that's the thing that unlocks doors for me, gets me into to meetings because I'm not going and saying, can I be, can I join this meeting because I'm I'm important and I've got <laughs> something to say, but because I understand the thing that the problem they're trying to solve or the energy in the room that they need I say well that's, I, I I might be able to bring some of that and it could help you and that's a very different conversation mm. what about one of your greatest weaknesses I love new things right as I've said a couple shiny. of times <laughs> shiny new things so I have to surround myself with people who are the completer finishers. I don't know if you've ever looked at the, the kind of Belbin team roles. So for me, absolutely understanding that um, I'm I'm not the person who, on their own, is going to to be obsessive about all the the tiny details that get you know a project finished and so on. Finally, Richard, how can we get in contact with you and your business? That's for our, for our consultancy work. It's um, www.alwayspossible.co.uk, and on Twitter, it's at always underscore possible. Um, and all our kind of details, you can phone us and get in touch, email in many ways, all on the website. Um, for the Possibility Club, which is very much around people who can't afford afford consultancy or are um, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, artists, creators, disruptors, mavericks, rebels, people who got an idea, um, very much this kind of building a community there. Um, then that's uh, thepossibilityclub.org and it's possib- at Possibility Club on Twitter. But go to one of those sites and you'll find the other one. Brilliant. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> it's been a really interesting interview well, and uh, thank you for your time today. Thank you for inviting me on. Hey guys, it's Mark again. Thanks for listening to this week's Business Power Ups podcast. You can contact me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Rockley or if you have any questions, please email me, Mark at whiteboxuk.co.uk You can find more about my business at www.whiteboxuk.co.uk I'd really appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your friends and if you're feeling extra nice please leave a rating and a review I'll be back next week with another exciting guest